And let's go ahead and get started. This is um, the teaching lesson covering um, Acts, or I mean Acts 13 through about 15, and it's from lesson eight. There's a page in your packet there to take some notes, and if you are so inclined to do that, and then uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It's alive and just reminds us who, who you are and um, centers us on who we need to be in light of that. And we just ask that you would open our heart and our mind right now to hear your word and to um, really live it out. Thank you for all the wonderful activity under your name that's happening on this campus right now. And just go before us now in this time of teaching, just that it would be a blessing to um ourselves, Lord, in this room, and then mostly just to glorify you as well. So we thank you for our time together now. In Jesus' name, everyone said? All right, Acts 13. So, a lot to cover tonight. I'm going to speed talk my way through this. Um, I try to hone in and center in on key things through this, through our big passages. And um, I, I, I would really rather just teach like one verse out of the Bible, but it's just not how the Bible study is set up. We get to cover three whole chapters practically. Oh and so there's a lot to go through. Um, but I love and what I've said before in the past about how great this study is, is you guys have already been in it. You've spent the time in the Word. So what I'm hoping to bring to you today is just some insights that the Lord's given me as I've done my study and um, present to you tonight to... Um, consider so bible's ready to go and we are again in acts 13 and this is the third of the greatest sermons in acts not the third sermon recorded of course but really an impetus a a big sermon that um launches a new journey um a new season in in paul's life um we don't have every single sermon recorded wouldn't that be great if we did my goodness the volumes it would fill years ago after my uh, dad passed away i received all of his cassettes from back when he was teaching and I wish I had every single sermon and I wish uh, I had a way to play all of them a little easier but they're on cassette and it's such a treasure to me to have all of those and we're blessed that we even have just a few sermons of Paul's recorded that we do but um, this is a pretty exciting sermon and, and it really does kick off his missionary trip that he starts to take here and he's he's been away Longer than we really remember, I think, because he's been teaching and gone in Arabia. The Bible says he was there for three years. Uh, certainly he preached after that when they shipped him out of town because he caused so much trouble for people wherever he went. Um, and they ship him off back to Tarsus. And uh, everywhere he's going, he's preaching and he's starting churches. And he's a man on a mission, isn't it? And he's just so exciting to see uh, what, what happens everywhere he goes. So he goes to Antioch and he preaches there for a year. And um, it's uh, it's not that it's new for him to preach. It's just that it's recorded in scripture, not, not everything that he does. But this is actually one of the longest sermons um, of his that is recorded. And it's really only even excerpts of the sermon because we know Luke didn't write down literally word for word. But Paul really considered himself a preacher. That was his calling. And I don't have the scripture for you. I'm just going to read from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, if you want to jot that down. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach. This grace was given to me to preach, to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a blessing. Mm -hmm. And I love that he gets that, the power of what the call was that he received. So he's basically saying, I don't even understand how a man like me could ever be chosen by God to deliver the message. I'm unworthy of doing this, but God's called me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and that's what I'm going to do. So 
he does that. And uh, moving on in our passage here. Um, this uh, opening portion here from Acts 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and come to and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John is John Mark. And uh, sometimes we, he's called John, sometimes John Mark, sometimes Mark. But that's who, that's who this guy is right here. And so what's going to happen here is he's going to cover about 200 miles, give or take. Um, and he's leaving this island here of Cyprus. And the bottom of the map, I tried to stretch it out. This is actually Google Maps. I just put it on satellite mode. And these are historical landmarks that you can visit to this day. Um, my sister actually took a cruise and um, was able to see some of the journeys of Paul and was able to see some of this in person. Super exciting. But um, Paul would have had to get on a ship, obviously, and leave Cyprus and head up over there um, to this area of Perga. And not um, today we would just hop on a passenger ship or a ferry to get over there. Um, they did not have passenger ships back then. He would have been on some kind of a commercial uh, ship, uh, military maybe, a commercial, but travelers would in that day and age make arrangements with merchants to travel. So here he goes. He's off and running from Cyprus um, off to um, Perga. And after sailing from Cyprus, he's on this, what we would call the Turkish coast. That whole area up above there is all part of Turkey. And um, he gets up over there and he's um, traveling off to these cities and they head over kind of to the west coast and travelers even to this day take that same route up in that area it's amazing how many roman roads are still to this day i mean we have to refill the pots in our holes in whittier la Mirada every year we got roman roads have been there for two thousand years and it's amazing maybe we should maybe get some of their technology over here so they have to get on this boat they have to cross the mediterranean and uh, they get over there and pamphylia is the name of this area this whole district it's really kind of shaped like an oscar meyer wiener um it's long and it's skinny it goes up and along the coast there it's just north of a big area called pisidia and so you have pamphylia and pisidia two of these big great regions and the whole area this whole area is called galatia and paul wrote that letter to galatians not that it was this one little church, it was this whole region. That's why we know that when he wrote that letter, it was to be circulated in the whole area. And I had you guys read Galatians in our last study. So this area is not easy to go through. And as always, when we look in the Bible, we have to ask, you know, what, what's there? And why is it there? Like, they could have picked any place to go. What is going on that they would pick this? This area that I've highlighted here on the screen is uh, part of what's called the Taurus Mountains. And uh, it's not easy to get through. Very difficult area to travel through. And uh, But Paul was deliberate in his mission and chose areas that he knew he needed to be. He's led by the Holy Spirit. We hear that over and over and over again in Acts. And so for whatever reason, he is directed to this area, I believe. And, and scholars really are discussing this even to this day. You can go online and go to biblicalarchaeology.org and check out some of their fascinating materials there. But um, why, why Paul, why would you go here to Perga and then later on up north from Perga? Um, it, it's interesting because you have to think about the, the terrain and that's why I've asked you a lot to go in your maps and get out your maps and look at your maps and think about where they're going and ask yourself like, why, and what would that have been like? And what, what might they have experienced during that time? So Luke adds this really interesting little insight here. He includes in this information that John, Mark, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Why? Why would John do that? Why would Mark do that? Well, it doesn't tell us. 
So we have to start feeling and, and thinking about it. And if you read through the rest of Acts, you know that things weren't going well between Mark uh, and Paul. And Paul's not happy with Mark, and that comes up in, in your study that's going to come up here. So you know there was some kind of a conflict, some kind of difficulty, because later on in Acts, Paul addresses it and talks about it later. Um, who knows what was happening? We don't know. Maybe, maybe John Mark maybe didn't like Paul's style. Paul was strong and brusque and the scholars oftentimes think of him as a pain as kind of a short bald guy. Uh, but he was maybe just very loud and difficult. Who knows? Uh, maybe he liked Barnabas better. Maybe he hung out. Barnabas is like an encourager and he's just like easygoing guy. And maybe he just liked the personality style of Barnabas better. Um, and he wasn't real thrilled with Paul, um, where you don't really know. Um, it's also possible that he knew that this road ahead of them, this difficult pass through the Taurus Mountains, was too much. Like, he didn't want to deal with it. Scholars also think there's a possibility that Paul could have come down with malaria during this time. And that he heads up north to get out of the wet regions and this, this coastal area and up into um, these mountains, these Taurus Mountains. And those Taurus Mountains are no joke. No joke at all. Very treacherous, very challenging. Um, they were actually, they're written of in many historical accounts. Um, even though there's a Roman road still to this day there, um, scholars note that these, um, these mountains actually would have been filled with uh, raiders and um, barbarians. Um, Alexander the Great in this era, um, when he was making his move through the Taurus Mountains himself, he said it was the most treacherous that he had ever gone through. And so this was no joke going through the Taurus Mountains and Paul does it. Okay. And keep in mind that he does it <laughs> after being beaten and before being beaten. I mean, he is, he's not doing well and potentially has been sick. And we have a reason to believe that later on in the account. Um, there are some pretty dangerous rivers. In fact, to this day, they're noted in that region as being some of the most dangerous rivers um, in the world, the Cestrus and the Eurymedon. And um, they, they sh the rivers splash through, they end up at the sea, and they go through these cliffs, and Paul and Barnabas would have had to cross at some point some of those rivers. So my point is, this was not an easy trip. This isn't Paul going, I'm just going to take a little ocean cruise and head up and spread the gospel and let's just kind of level it all out and pick the easy areas. So um, here are some of the um, coastal towns that he um, would have had access to in this area and does. And this green route is the green is the route mapped out by most scholars who believe that that is probably um, the route that he took. Um, he could also go up and around a little bit more on this red route, but most scholars believe that he just went straight up and through the Taurus um, Mountains. Pretty um, brutal. All right. So, again, um, Luke gives us this little detail with no other information that John Mark leaves them and returns to Jerusalem, but they go on from Perga and come to Antioch in, um, in Pisidia. All right. On frequent journeys... Paul kind of notes this here, and let me clear off my screen so I can see it a little bit easier. He says, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. You can read the whole passage on your own later, but 
Paul is probably referring to his journey through the Taurus Mountains when he's talking about the dangerous river and this trip that he has during this season. And again, wouldn't you love to have more information and know exactly what he went like? Dear diary, today I crossed the Taurus Mountains. Like if Paul had really been able to give all of that. But we don't have that. Ah, maybe in heaven we'll be able to ask him more about it. All right, so um, on and on the Sabbath day. So here we go. They're moving in. And uh, I really wanted to dig into that little portion. I promise I'm not here like, we got to go all the way through chapter 15. We're going to pick it up after here. So um, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, I'm going to pause right there. The law and the prophets and reading from the law and the prophets in the synagogue, that would have been um, Friday nights at sunset to um, Saturday night at sunset. They get up in the morning, they go into the synagogues, and this is, to this day, the exact same pattern that Orthodox Jews move through. They read through what's called the Torah portion. Um, it's a fascinating way to study the Bible, and you can do it. You can go through It's on a seven-year cycle. The entire Torah, the Old Testament, um, is divided up into the, um, the Torah proper, which is just the what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then all the way through the entire Torah, or the Tanakh, which includes the prophets. And the Jews divide that up into portions that they read. They open up every single service to this day the exact same way by reading and reciting the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy 6. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's what Jesus quoted also in Luke. And they start with that, and then they get into the Torah portion, and they also read the prophets. So the exact same routine has been happening for literally millennia. Literally millennia. And Paul's in on it. All right, so the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand. There's a good preacher uses his hands when he speaks. Um, but this is also common for life in a synagogue. They would read the Torah portion. Then they would say, anybody want to share you know, with the class? What have you got? And he says, they send a message to him. It's not like they had a little note they were passing down the aisle. Would you, you know, like to preach? Yes, no, check here. It was, um, this was the comment. And especially if there was somebody showing up in town that might be able to speak. And so scholars think that maybe when, when Paul showed up, he had his rabbi outfit on. And so he looked like a teacher. He looked like a rabbi. And they're like, oh, new guy's visiting. Let's come in and let's hear what he has to say. And this also was the custom of pause. He says later on in Acts, um, he says that he would go to the synagogues first to give the Jews, his people, the gospel first. He starts there. This was always Paul's approach. Why? Because it was God's approach too. They got the, they got the good news first. The Jews did. Okay. Paul says, in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So we read and we think of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? But really the gospel, the good news, has been coming on since Genesis, right? God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life, basically. That is the good news. And Jesus Christ is the culmination of all of that. And he opens up and he says, men of Israel, that would be directed to the Jews. And you who fear God, that would be directed to the converts. And we've talked about this before, that you who fear God is always a euphemism for people who've converted. Name one convert you can remember from our study through Acts so far. Paul. Starts with C. Cornelius. Paul, good. And yeah, Cornelius. He's a Gentile who converts to... Judaism. So he is a God-fearer, a man who feared God. So he's a Gentile convert. And he says, listen, 
listen. This is an important word also because the, what, what they had just recited in the synagogue was the Shema. It's called the Shema. And the Shema, the very first word of the Shema is here, O Israel. That word um, here is the word Shema in Greek, uh, in Hebrew. And it means listen. You do the physical act of hearing, but listen so that it goes into your ears physically, into your brain so you can think about it, and down into your heart and out into your life. That's what the whole concept of the word Shema means. And so he opens up with basically the same word. He says it in Greek. Listen. We get our word acoustics from this. This is the word akuo, akuo in Greek. And it means to comprehend by hearing. And um, figuratively, it means to hear God's voice that actually ends up prompting him to have faith. And here's what's interesting about Paul's method of teaching here, and I love it. And it's a way that I think hopefully all of us who love to teach God's word would, would embrace. He doesn't just jump right to the point. He builds it up. He builds it up and he moves through his point. And so this begins his word of encouragement. Remember the message that was given to him? If anyone has a word of encouragement, let him stand. He goes, I got a word of encouragement. I got the biggest word of encouragement. All caps. Here we go. And this is what he ends up doing. And I'm going to just abbreviate it. But here's the point of everything he says. God, 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 God did this. God did this. God did this. God did this. He gets his audience with him. Right? They're on that path. And then look, I, I just went through and I just highlighted the main point of everything he says in his opening. God shows, God made, God led, God put up with them. God destroyed the bad guys. He gave, he gave, God gave, he removed, he raised, he testified. And he said, I have found and God brought to Israel a savior. And we're going to pause right there. He is setting up his, his people. He's setting up his audience and saying, our God is the great God. And they're like, amen, brother Paul, preach it. <laughs> right? And he's just like, we've got the greatest God ever. Hey, you got that, Paul. We are so with you on all of this. And he points to God and he reviews the entire history that they already know. They know this. They've just gone through the law and the prophets. They know all of this. Go, Paul. And they're like, we are with you on all of this. And he says, God has brought to Israel a savior. And they're like, that is what the entire Torah has been pointing to. There's a savior, there's a savior, there's a savior, there's a savior. God is getting this plan going. And then he, he nails it. He goes right here. He says, Jesus, God has brought to Israel a savior. Yes? Yes, Jesus. And this is the second main character in this entire sermon of Paul. You want to know what this sermon title would be? God presents Jesus. That's everything. God brings you Jesus. That's everything. Ladies, I want us to consider the possibility that that's exactly what our life should be. Not everybody is going to stand behind a podium. Not everyone's going to be able to, to, to speak in that formal, but our life is that sermon. Everything we do, every action, every, every moment of our life should be God presents Jesus to every person God brings in our life. And you know what? When you having that own dialogue in your brain about what your life is about, that's what you should center on. God brought me Jesus. And you should be amening that truth all the time. And if you don't get the joy and the power and the grace and the amazing reality of what that means, you need to know Jesus again. You need to go back to that. God presents Jesus. And every Jew knew the plan of history. All of them. That God is a God who desires fellowship. And that fellowship was broken in Eden, wasn't it? We don't have that fellowship, right? And that God planned a restoration of that fellowship. 
And that fellowship was restored ultimately because of Jesus Christ. There was a messianic kingdom coming in the entire Old Testament. The Tanakh, the Jews call it. The Torah, the Law, the Prophets, all of that was there was a Messiah promised. And Paul's here to say, done, signed, sealed, delivered, Jesus. And now we can have fellowship and everything has come to pass because of that. That's where history was going. That's where everything in the past built up to that moment right there. And that was the way that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ splits history. Because everything from that point before that was leading up to that moment on the cross. And then from that moment forward, everything now is all about Jesus and the coming return and the complete and total restoration of everything. Amen? Amen. All right. So, what was the response? And as they, Paul and Barnabas, not the Jews. If you have the King James, who's reading from King James? If you have the King James that says um, the Jews... Uh, we have more reliable translations now, so it doesn't say that actually in the most reliable. It's Paul and Barnabas, depending on what your translation says. But they went out and people begged them. They begged them that these things might be told the next Sabbath. Why? Because this was fresh and this was new and this was exciting because they were used to the pattern, the re- repetition of the Torah and the Shema and the law and the prophets. And then this guy comes along and says, God, 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 Jesus, and points to Jesus. Amen. And they're excited. Could this be? But also, I think they were excited because these guys just showed up after having crossed the Taurus Mountains. Don't, let's not forget that. Like, these guys have um, some chops. You, you just came from where? You were on what island? You got to here, and then you went the... You crossed the... You did not. Yes, they did. They crossed the Taurus Mountains, and they show up with a lot of credibility for these guys. Now they've got some powerful words, and Paul's letting them have it. And maybe they can see the battle scars on them of having the gone, gone through the Taurus Mountains. But I'm telling you, they come to town and people are ready to hear this message. And they hear and they're super excited. And it says, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But, hold on right there. You know, we love enthusiasm. If you're trying to tell somebody about a movie and they're like, yeah, blah, 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 I already saw it. It's not fun. If, if you go to a great new restaurant and your, your friend's like, I ah, there, I'm not great. Um, but when you tell somebody a story and you're like, oh my gosh, it's the best news ever. That's super exciting. Tell me more. It's like, okay. You get all like, that's fun. And you like that parlay. You know, it's like they're playing with you, tennis back and forth. We love that kind of enthusiastic response. But you know what we love even better? If you tell your friend about the restaurant and then they actually go. You tell a friend about a movie and they actually go see it. You give the people the gospel and they get on their knees and they, they confess Jesus as their Savior right then on the spot. And did these people do that? They did not. Come back. Tell us more later. Why didn't they get baptized? They didn't get, ba- what? They didn't get baptized. Oh, we're super excited. We're begging you to come back because these old rabbis we've got are kind of boring and you're the new next thing in town. It's not always right to wait. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Now is the day of salvation. It says in Hebrews 3, the Spirit says, Today, while you're still hearing, harden not your heart. Now is the day to act. Now move forward. Don't sit around and think about it and get all excited and put on the airs of, Oh, everything's going to be great. No. So from a preacher's standpoint, it's great when people want more. But from the people's standpoint, it's better to receive Christ. Now. <laughs> all right. Anyway, they were pleased and they want more. Until, until the Gentiles get in on it. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Jealousy. Underline that. Underline that. 
You know, whenever you're afraid, check your heart. If it's a jealous spirit. <sighs> Jealousy. Good times. <laughs> you're being stingy. You're being selfish. You're being ornery. Your heart's on your own will, your own mind, whatever you want to get out of it, what you've always had. You want your way. You put your fingers in your ears. La, la, la. They are jealous. And I'm telling you right now, Satan loves that jealous spirit. Don't let that happen to you. Don't give it a foothold. Be ready. Be excited for anyone to be blessed, no matter what their past. No matter where they've been, oh, so-and-so, hey, showing up at church, they're never going to make it right. They're never going to really get this. They don't really deserve it. I put up with this all along. You're the kind of person who'd be mocking the thief on the cross. He doesn't deserve to go to heaven. He just barely accepted Jesus at the last minute. They're jealous. They're ornery. Ooh. And their jealousy erupts, and they begin to contradict and revile uh, uh, Paul. And this word, uh, contradict, is... Um, Anti and uh, Lego. Not Lego, like the little toys you play with, obviously. But um, it's the word, word. Lego. Word. Against the word. They speak against the word. Contra, against, is Latin. Dict is Latin for word also. So that's a Latin form that we have. Contradict is Latin. And then um, uh, anti-Lego is the, the Greek form of that. They, they contradict, they anti-Lego, anti the word, against the word, what Paul speaks. And that word, uh, reviling, is blaspheming. They're blaspheming what Paul is saying. That means they are basically, they're taking God's name in vain. They're bringing God into it. And they are messing with the wrong stuff doing this. And that, that tense in the Greek there is the imperfect tense, and it's the use of the imperfect. It's this in continuous action and pastime. In other words, they were continually, and they were loudly and long, and they were opposing Paul. This was a riotous, not righteous, a riotous, Opposition. They were really firing away at Paul on this. That's what their jealousy had done to them. It says they were blaspheming. They were, maybe maybe this is a Messiah. Nah, but he's not our Messiah. They're rejecting, they're rejecting God. This word, um, jealousy, by the way, in the Greek is an onomatopoeia word. It's um, zelos. And it's, the idea is it has a sound to it when you say it in the Greek. That means to boil and bubble over. All right. It literally means it's hot enough to boil. That's the idea there on this word jealousy. So if you were to study why people, listen, why people reject the gospel, you are never going to find people that reject the gospel because they pursued the facts and they really nailed it all down. No, they did not. You know why people reject the gospel? Sin. Period. That's why. They have a sin issue. They love their sin. That's the umbrella that covers it all. That sin might be all sorts of different things. It could be any kind of sexual perversion that they're into. It could be any kind of pride. It could be any kind of prejudice. It could be any kind of misconceptions about what the church might look like. But it's sin. It's unconfessed unwillingness to humble themselves before the almighty righteous God and walk in holiness with him. It's completely not related to intellectual no matter what they try. And the Jews try to make it look like it was an intellect. But the hard, cold truth and facts of it is just like today. They reject Jesus, their savior, because of their own sin in their heart. Well... Uh, verse 46 says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. <laughs> Love it. They both spoke out boldly. Um, the fury of the Jews gets great and their courage just amps up even more. They speak out even more and they weren't afraid of anyone. I mean, remember, they had just passed the Taurus Mountains. They probably got beat up a couple times by some bandits. So they are ready to go. If they can take on the Taurus Mountains, they can take on anybody else, right? But the Jews 
Paul saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you, the Jews, first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. He is not pulling any punches here. You are unworthy of eternal life. Unworthy of eternal life. Very strong words from that, but it gets even better. He says, for the Lord um, has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the region. I think that I not get that verse up there on the screen for you. I might have skipped it. 38, 49. Oh, no, I didn't. Here we go. This is important. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, underlined devout women of high standing. That's going to come up in a positive way in a couple of chapters. And the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet. You know, Jesus talked about this exact thing as well in Luke chapter 10. He says, when you go and evangelize, when you, when you're out there, he sends out his disciples and they don't hear your message and they don't believe in the Messiah. What he meant was this, no Jew would ever bring a Gentile, Gentile dirt, not just a Gentile. They wouldn't even bring Gentile dirt. They had so many absurd laws to keep them from being infected by Gentiles that if they went off to buy, let's say a broom, handle that was made by a Gentile, they had to make, they had to clean that broom handle before they brought it into their house. They just made up all sorts of rules to keep any Gentile dust off of them at all. And so when a Jew arrived at the border of Israel, he would shake off the dust off of his feet before he enters the Holy Land of Israel because he didn't want to bring any Gentile dust back with him. All right. So this is a big deal. And so when, when he says, shake off the dust of your feet, he means Treat those Jews like they are pagan. That's what he's saying, right? You don't want to have anything to do with them. They might as well be pagans. They are, they're, they're like, like how you guys used to be when you would shake your dust off your feet. That's how I want you to treat these Jews here. And so when Paul and Barnabas shake off the dust of their feet in the face of those Jews there in Antioch, they're saying in effect, we consider you pagans. We consider you heathen. A huge rebuke against them. And the disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that Luke writes that in there together. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know people who um, are believers, and I don't see that joy. I think it goes together. I just don't think you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have joy. If, 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 if you're just a pouty, ornery, difficult, angry, annoying person, I question if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop! Just stop. You got the Holy Spirit. There's no reason for you not to be completely filled with joy. Stop. They are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I love that Luke takes the time to have this. You know what? Here's the deal. We have a lot of ministry freedom when we are walking in the Spirit and we have the Holy Spirit. We do not have God's blessing to be little sourpuss Christian women. We just don't. We don't. We got all the different units for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stop short on anything that puts a pout on your face and makes you an honor or a difficult person to deal with. Don't. Ladies, I'm telling you right now, if I walk into a room and I've got my, my name tag right here, Jennifer Richmond, I'm representing my family, Richmond. I'm representing the family that I came from, Garrett. But you know what I'm representing above all that? Jesus Christ. I'm representing him. You take the name tag off. In other words, if you can't drive around town with a bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus, and you're driving like a jerk, don't do it. Either get your act together and stop being so such a person who doesn't have joy or take off the bumper sticker. 
get right and live like that. And that's what Luke is saying. You guys, these guys were, these were harsh men. They did not mince words with these Jews, but they had joy. So they weren't being all whiny and pouty about it. They had joy. The disciples were filled with joy. All right. Paul leaves, Paul and Barnabas leave town. They take off for Iconium here on the map. I'll show you here. Um, this kind of looping trail that they take up and over through these uh, mountains and they're heading off over now to um, Iconium. Remember that little kid's song? If you're happy and you know it. Clap your hands. Shake the dust off your feet of the pagans. <laughs> that is basically what's happening here. They were joyful. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're happy and you know it, shake the dust off your feet and move on. There's a place for that, ladies, but don't be a jerk about it. Don't. Shake the dust off your feet. Don't throw your your pearls before swine, but don't torch them when you leave. You're going to see why in a minute. Because they're going to go back to this exact town. If they had loved and been such jerks about it, they wouldn't be able to go back. But they had joy. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So in a minute, we're going to see they end up looping around and they come right back. All right. So, Go on to chapter 14. We're going to take a quick little tour there. This chapter is about Paul and Barnabas who go from Iconium to Lystra to Derby and back again. And they go home and while they're doing it, they're preaching and they're creating more trouble. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brother. Now I looked up that word poisoned. I'm like, what? is the Greek word for that. I'm telling you right now. Uh, just God, forgive me right now because this is really off. But <laughs> I looked it up in a lot of translations and I looked it up in the Greek. And I did my word study on this. So I think I might be actually right on this, but I could not find it in any reputable commentaries. There might be a reason for that. But take a look at this word in Greek. <clears throat> it's kaka. Uh, it is. That's what it is. They filled their mind. It means bitterness, it means evil, it means trash, it means moral filth. I looked up all the lexicon references to this. So I'm telling you right now, if you know what the word kaka means, then you know this is exactly what the Jews were up to and what they were doing. They were filling their minds against the brothers with goofy nonsense. Not, yes, here we go. And (laughs) instead of shaking the dust off their feet, and I believe it was because of the spirit, they remained there for a long time. Time, they turn around, they go back, and they remain there for a long time. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The Lord, listen to that. Do you see that connection there? The Lord bore witness to the word of his grace. The Lord granted signs and wonders. There is no way the Lord Jesus would have been doing that and blessing their mission if they had been jerks when they left, just shaking the dust off their feet. They were filled with joy. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So they get to go back and they still have a testimony there. The the Lord enables their hands to be hands of healing and hands of miracles. But we don't want the but. We don't want the but. We want the and. And. I don't get to pick, you know, French fries, but I can't have onion rings. I get to have French fries and onion rings. We want the and. We want it all together. We don't want the but. But we want the and that says they were blessed. We want the and that says their efforts paid off. And and, and clearly they were well received. And again, this is where the prosperity gospel that you show up and God just blesses and blesses and blesses and then name it and then claim it and God gives you all the stuff that you want and the true gospel and the prosperity gospel splits. Right there. 
listen, listen. God is interested in your obedience, not your results. He's not. You obey. You let God take care of the results. God is interested in your obedience, not in your comfort. God is interested in your obedience, not in your popularity. And so what happens? The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Ladies, earlier on in our study through through Acts, we learned that God adds, God subtracts, and God multiplies. But what what does God not do? What does God not do? He does not split. He does not divide. Who's involved here then? Satan is. You know, every time we see these kinds of issues coming up, this isn't God. This isn't God coming in and punishing Saul because he, uh, Paul, because he did something wrong. This is God uh, putting him exactly where they need to be and allowing Satan to come in. And Satan does, and he starts dividing. It's exactly what happens here. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. They learned of it. They fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Did they flee from fear? No, they were on a mission. They had joy. They had the Holy Spirit. They're, they're dusty, shaken feet off, but they take that gospel of peace and off they went again. How far? It's actually not that far, out 18 miles away. 18 miles away. Wasn't that far? They really wanted to get out of Dodge. They would have gone a lot more distance. And I'll tell you in a minute, you might have wished they had because the Jews just show up and start stirring up more trouble in a minute. Anyway, all right. So this area, if you look at the maps back in the day, barren loss of civilization. Why? They keep on going to these areas that aren't these hub right this moment. Now, later on, he's going to go to Athens. Later on, he's going to go to Corinth. But right now, he's going to these barbarian areas pretty much. But remember, they're filled with the spirit of joy and the Holy Spirit. And that makes you fearless. That makes you energized. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and he's crippled and he's crippled from birth and he had never walked. Thank you for the very clear details, Luke. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. In other words, Paul is preaching and he literally stops while he's preaching, looks at this guy, boom, get well right there. Stand up, stand up on your feet. He springs up on his feet. He begins walking and Paul heals on the town, goes crazy and they not only start to worship them but to call them gods it goes crazy barnabas they call zeus paul hermes what is going on this is absolute insanity this is crazy remember when peter goes and witnesses to cornelius and his whole family and cornelius bows down cornelius didn't start calling him a god but these people call him gods and luke makes a point of it here's the background They're in Lystra. Look it up in your history books. They're in Lystra. And in the middle of preaching, Paul stops and he heals this guy. And the people are all stunned. And the people are all shocked. Watch verse 11. And and the people saw, in your Bible you can underline this, the people saw what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices. And they started crying out in one big yell. And they're saying it in Lyconian. Paul makes a note of that. Paul and Barnabas can't even understand them. What they're saying. They don't get a gift of tongues in this moment. They don't get to understand what they're saying. They're like, what is going on? They don't even understand what they're saying. Okay, so here's what they're saying. Here's what the backstory is of this whole situation in Lystra. So there was an old tale about Lystra back in the day, like literally back in the day, about Zeus or Jupiter or Hermes or Mercury, depending on if you're doing Greek or Roman names of the gods. The story goes that these two gods come down to earth and they visit and they're in disguise and they come to Lystra. The two gods, they show up in Lystra. Zeus and Hermes do. And they ask for hospitality. And Lystra people are, no, 
I'm not going to give you hospitality. And uh, except for these two nice people, an old man and this woman. And so as the punishment, as the story goes, they, the gods, angry lowercase g gods, they destroy Lystra. So up against the backdrop of this situation, I think the people of Lystra are going, we don't want to make that exact same mistake all over again. Let's call these two guys gods and celebrate them and bring out our temple priest guy and make offerings to them. That's pretty interesting temptation. Of course, Paul and Barnabas know better. But that is why this whole thing blows up like it does. And they completely get sidetracked from this miracle and from uh, this message that Paul has been delivering to them. But the Jews in Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. So, you guys, the Jews show up here. They follow them. In other words, why didn't Paul head out further than 18 miles? Because the Jews are on their trail and they show up here and they start stirring up trouble right here. The Jews come from Antioch and Iconium. They persuaded the crowds. They gather around them and um, they stone them. They drag him out to the city. They suppose that he's dead. They, you know, shake their dust off their feet and they clap their hands and scoot on back into town. Da, 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 da. Paul's not dead. Now, he was probably beaten to an inch of his life and stoned. And we know that it was the Jews that stoned him and not the Gentiles or the Greeks. Why? Because Greeks didn't stone people. They threw him off cliffs. If you go back and read your history, that's, that's how they stoned So we know it was the Jews who did this. They stoned him and they took him out onto a dung pile, a, a trash heap outside of town. All right. So when they preach the gospel, they, oh, so he gets up. He goes back in. He starts preaching again. They preach the gospel so that the city had made many disciples. All right. So the first time around, no one. We don't get any indication, but when he comes back in, we see this, that they do start, they they do make these uh, disciples there. So they were strengthening, um, the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying there must be, there will be many tribulations and they, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. No kidding. No kidding. They've seen it for their own self. Paul gets stoned. And uh, comes back up and uh, makes it through the Taurus Mountains and makes, makes it through all this persecution and all that. And uh, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Don't forget, you believed in the Lord. No more Zeus, no more Hermes, no more Jupiter, no more Mercury, no more of these guys. You are commissioned in the name of the Lord. This is the guy that you have believed in. Then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. They had spoken the word in Perga. They went down to Adaliah. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. My goodness. Luke hasn't even written this, this account down yet. So Paul and Barnabas are having it. And probably uh, Luke at some point gets word of all of this and starts writing. We know that Luke ends up joining him later, joining them later. But the rest of chapter 15 is coming up. And it's to answer this question. Do men have to be circumcised? That's the question. But really the question that shows up in chapter 15 is a bigger question than that. All right. And this is a big deal, and thank goodness gracious that they um, had this Jerusalem council when they did. So the question is, because um, they, they, they have this big discussion that comes up, and they've had it before because Peter had to address it after Cornelius gets saved. Don't they all have to get circumcised? I mean, we've all had to been circumcised. It's almost like, hey, we had to get circumcised. They should too. Like they had to go through it, so we want everyone else to. Um, so they weren't real happy about that, but it wasn't just the circumcision. They wanted everyone to have to become a Jew first in religion, and then they could believe in this Jesus guy. 
right? So they weren't willing, ready, and able in that moment to shed the religion of Judaism. And it's here's here's an important point I want you guys to make. And I think the church has been an error for doing this for many, many years. And still some some probably do it. Um, the Jews aren't the bad guys here. Judaism isn't the bad guy either. The bad guy is legalism. The bad guy is taking God's grace out of the law, which God had always put it put in there all along. If you read through the Old Testament, read through the Psalms, read through Psalm 119 over and over and over and over again. They sing the praises of the law. The law of the Lord is good and it's perfect and it's great and we love it. So the law wasn't the issue. It was their heart that was the issue. Number one. Number two, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. It wasn't like, oh, get rid of that stuff. It's like, no, I'm here to fulfill it. I, I, I completed it all. You know, from eight-day circumcision all the way through to living a perfectly sinless life. That's what Jesus' role was. So let's not make the law or Judaism or even Pharisees really the bad guys. Yes, if they're not obeying Jesus now, but not for the whole shebang because we can't get rid of the Old Testament. And many Christians have made that mistake in doing that. So uh, we have Peter. He goes and he says, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel. So he reminds them, look, the gospel message has come. It's going to the Gentiles. Then um, James jumps in and speaks up and says, oh, Paul and Barnabas share their story some more later on in that chapter as well. But James comes up and he says, therefore, by my judgment, remember, he's the half-brother of Jesus. We should not trouble the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from Things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, what has been strangled, and from blood. Now, if that had been written today, do you think James would have to include in that what has been strangled and from blood? No. In La Mirada, California, we're not dealing with sin having to do with strangling things. We're not strangling our animals in order to kill them and eat them. We're not drinking live blood from animals. So he's specifically addressing some of the moral depravity that was very particular to that society in that in that time. So sexual immorality, obviously everyone deals with that all <laughs> since Adam and Eve. But um, it, this isn't like, oh, wow, make sure I don't strangle anything. Oh, my gosh, if my steak is medium rare, I make sure there's no blood. By the way, this red stuff that come out is not even blood anyway, so don't even worry about that. Uh, eat your steak. Eat it as rare as you want. That is not what this, this little rule is talking about. The point is, he's saying, uh, you don't have to become a Jew first. You need to accept Jesus. You don't have to get circumcised. You want to get circumcised? Get circumcised. I don't know why you would, but do it. But it's not, there's not a law now on this. Why? Because Christ didn't come to abolish it. He became, he came to fulfill the law. So when they were sent off, they went to Antioch and gathered the congregation together. They delivered this letter. And man, that was good news to everyone because it settled this big disagreement that they were having in the church. And this disagreement, um, you would hope gets settled at this point, but Paul ends up having to write Galatians. Somebody else, we don't know the exact author, writes Hebrews, another epistle, and uh, address more about the, the issue of following um, the law over, over grace. But that is the main point. Uh, something I want to point out to you also is to find verse 33 in your Bible. Put your finger on it. See number 33, a little tiny number 33. Now skim through, skim through, keep going. Find verse 34. Huh? <laughs> there you go. No 34. There's no 34. It's not there. There's a teeny tiny. No. Chapter 15. There is no verse 34. There's a teeny tiny little footnote at the bottom of your page that says some manuscripts have inserted that verse 34, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Scholars mostly think that probably a scribe inserted that verse later to help clarify um, that 
what ends up happening later on, you'll see it in the next chapter coming up. Um, because all of a sudden Silas is back in verse 40, and maybe that scribe thought it was hard to explain why that happened. But all you have to do is allow for a little bit of time gap in there. That's no big problem. So go to verse 35. Paul, also in Barnabas, they continue in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. You know what happened right there? They just pick up where they left off. You know, and I think Satan must have been very tired of having all of his plans reversed. So he says, I'm going to move into the church and I'm going to give him false doctrine. Everyone's got to get circumcised. Everyone's got to be a Jew first. And so they come together, they have a council, and they have this doctrine of salvation that gets settled once and for all. Grace, right? Satan tries to move in and mess with their doctrine. They come together. Nope. They go to the word of God. Settled. Satan tries, okay, I'm going to split the Jews and the Gentiles. All right? Oh, as a result of that, and the Jerusalem council in particular, the Jew and the Gentile are one. They're coming together. Ah, I'm going to stop the movement of the gospel. No. (laughs) Paul and Barnabas are back at it and out. and More are at it and out. You know, Satan is so helpful. He sets us up for the biggest wins. He sets us up. He wants to come in and divide and destroy and distract. And we come together and we say in the name of Jesus, no. And you know what we do? We center our heart and our mind on the word of God. So when we come together, ladies, when we come together as women, love God's word. That is the best, most perfect, most amazing, most powerful thing we do. Love the word of God. Don't let anyone, anything, any teacher any of your own little dialogue inside your own brain distract you from getting back into the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You are good. Your word is great and we love it and we thrive on it. And thank you so much for giving it to us. Lord, as we leave here right now, we just ask that you would continue to grow in us that kind of passion and joy, that true thankfulness for what you've given us. Let us never become weary in doing the good thing of being in your word And Lord, let us come alongside of women who feel weary and tired and worn out like they've just crossed the Taurus Mountains and just say, we got this together as sisters in Christ. Let us be those kinds of people for one another. But let us always come back to the truth of your word and be aware of falsehood as Satan tries to come in and split us up and destroy what we have. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together as we move into the next couple of weeks of study Give us that focus and that discipline and that attention to your word that it so deserves. And we thank you and praise you for our time together right now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Hallelujah. Amen.